Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Following is transcribed. On my inauguration day, I thought I heard the former president say, I am fairly out and you are fairly in. See which one of us will be happiest. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True, human stories of Mr. President. This afternoon's Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment, but first a word about our purpose in presenting this series. To Americans, there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of the lives of the men who became presidents of the United States. Their deeds are sources of inspiration and courage to young and old alike. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, inspiring facts about the lives of their presidents. ABC's Mr. President takes listeners behind the White House reception rooms and ballrooms glittering with gold braid and famous personalities into the privacy of the breakfast room and study where presidents are shown as individuals with human doubts, laughter, love, and faith. Mr. President is true biography built around the men who filled America's highest office. Listen now for today's story and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Here's a story that happened in Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. The times brought many problems to the worried man in the executive mansion, and many were the times that he was to recall the words written to him by his wife at the time of his inauguration. You have this day to declare yourself the head of a nation. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant ruler over the people. Give to him an understanding heart that he may know how to go out and come in before this great people, that he may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Those were the words of a royal sovereign, and not less applicable to him who is invested with the chief magistracy of a nation. Though he wear not a crown, nor the robes of royalty. Yes, yes, yes. Dinner's almost ready, dear, and... My goodness, what on earth are you doing sitting there with that old letter of mine again? Mm, it's a very wise letter. I was just thinking about it. What's troubling you now? Oh, many things. The situation with France for one, the situation with the cabinet for another... 
They are not all loyal to me. I know they're not. I'm convinced that some of them are taking orders from political enemies of mine. Which ones? Well, Secretary of State Pickering, for one. Then why don't you dismiss the Secretary of State? Well, the former president found him a good man. I'm sure the country as a whole would feel that I had no right to dismiss any of the members of the cabinet. And perhaps I am the one at fault. You're not at fault. The trouble with your cabinet is that instead of taking their instructions from you, they're taking them from someone else. And you know who as well as I do. Yes, I know, but I don't know what to do about it. I want to do what is right and fair and just. My dear, you must have the cooperation of the people with whom you have to work. You are the president. You must function as the president. Well, this office brings many problems. You know, on my inauguration day, I thought I heard the former president say, I am fairly out and you fairly in. See which one of us will be the happiest. Did he say that? I'm not sure. There was a crowd of people around us, perhaps I imagined it, but if he did say it, I know now what he meant. Yes, this office brings many problems. And it seems to me they all boil right down to war and taxes. Gentlemen of the cabinet, I don't like to see any taxes inflicted upon our people that will be a hardship to them. But there is a grave possibility of war with France. And in order to prepare for that emergency... I am afraid we are going to have to impose further taxes. <coughs> well, I think we ought to have a federal property tax, Mr. President. Well, what kind of a property tax do you propose, Mr. Secretary Prickening? The kind of tax they had at home. A man pays according to his wealth. Well, how do you judge the man's wealth? Well, the way it was done in the old country, they judge a man's wealth by how many windows he had in his house. <laughs> yes, I remember that tax. I don't recall thinking it was a very equitable way of settling anything. Windows cost money. If a man has a lot of windows, it figures he has a property. And how many windows do you have, Secretary Pickering? Not many, Mr. President. I never had money to throw away like some I know. I see. I think any such tax is going to be intolerable to the people, Mr. President. Yes, I'm afraid of that myself, Mr. Lee. But we must have money for the army. And I know of no other way of getting it except by taxation. Then I think we should pass a window tax. Unless, of course, you have a better tax to propose, Mr. President. No, I do not have a better tax to propose. Well, then I suggest we prepare our recommendation of the property taxes to be levied and send our recommendations to Congress. There doesn't seem to be anything else to do. I wish the two of you would quit stamping up and down like that. There, there won't be a shred of carpet left. Well, they can say what they like, Lee, but I am greatly troubled about the results of those taxes. If only they weren't patterned exactly on the taxes of the old country. I'm afraid that people are going to say that that kind of tax oppression is one of the things they came to America to escape. And yet, what can we do? We must have money for defense. Well, the tax has been passed, hasn't it? Oh, yes, it's been passed. Yes, sir. And the tax collectors start out on Monday, don't they? Yes, they do. Well, we shall soon know what the people think of the taxes. All right, I'm coming, I'm coming. Yes, what is it? 
is it? What do you want? I've come to collect the tax. Oh, you've come to collect the tax, have you? Yes. I'll have to measure your window. Well, you keep away from my windows. George, oh, George, hand me that boiling kettle from the stove. Well, there's no use carrying on about it. It's the law. Oh, it's the law, is it? Well, here's what I think of you and your law. Is it? I, uh, I've come about the, uh, you don't happen to have anything boiling on the stove, do you? Why, no, I haven't. <laughs> Glad to hear that. I've come about the tax. I have to measure your windows. It's the law. Mary! Mary, let the dogs loose! Dogs? Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait. Help! That's what we think of your tax in Montgomery County. <laughs> So you're one of our tax collectors, huh? Yes, sir. Well, sit down, won't you? Sit down. Uh, if you don't mind, Mr. President, I'd rather stand. Really? You see, I've been bitten. Bitten? Where? There. Oh, no. Even the dogs don't like the tax in Montgomery County. Well, tell me, what's the matter with your face and arms? That's where they poured the boiling water and the boiling soup and the boiling turnip greens on me. They don't care for the tax in Bucks County, either. See that bump on my head? I certainly do. A four-year-old boy in Lehigh dropped soup terrine on my head. Even the children hate the law in Northampton. Well, we'll have to give you some sort of protection the next time you go out. I'm not going out again. You're not going out again? No, I'm not. I'm going to have my old woman put a kettle to boil. I'm going to buy some vicious dogs. I'm going to give my child a soup terrine. And then I'm going to sit by the window and wait for the tax collector. <laughs> Well, don't the people understand the reasons for the tax? The people think the tax is a form of persecution, Mr. President. Well, did you try to explain it all? Explain? It's a little hard to explain to a kettle of boiling water, Mr. President. Yes, of course it is. Mr. President, if you'll forgive the impertinence, I don't think the government realizes the sentiment of the people in this matter. You have to go out among them to see it and to feel it. I think there's going to be a general uprising all over the country. I think they're going to face execution before they'll pay the tax. I see. Well, thank you for coming to me. I appreciate learning your views in this matter, and I'm terribly sorry about your injuries. You will be given compensation, of course. Thank you, Mr. President. Good day, sir. Good day. My word... That man was in terrible condition, wasn't he? Yes, my dear. All you have to do is to take one look at him to know that the people don't like the tax and what they think of it. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to call a cabinet meeting immediately. Gentlemen, the people of this country feel that the tax is a persecution. That it's unjust, there's insurrection every place. You read the reports of the tax collectors? Well, Mr. President, there are ways of handling insurrection. What do you suggest, Mr. Pickering? 
That we line the nation up shoulder to shoulder and execute them all? Law is law, and defiance of the law is treason. The penalty for treason is death, Mr. President. Resentment of attacks is not treason, Secretary Pickering. Just what is your definition of treason, Mr. President? An attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. I say that any defiance of the law is an attempt to overthrow the government. Gentlemen, gentlemen. How many years is it since the first ships touched these shores and the weary people who stepped from them looked with gratitude at the wilderness, more than willing, eager to face the hardships of an unknown land so that they might live together bound by the rights and privileges of free men? There has to be law, Mr. President. Yes, there has to be law, Mr. Secretary. But the law must be just. Well, then, if you feel the tax law is unjust, revoke the law. But where does the money come from for defense? What happens to the rights and privileges of free men when the guns of France are trained upon our shores? Why don't we try to make a substitute law? Why, because then we'd look like fools in the eyes of the country. We've written a law, we've passed it. Now it's up to us to enforce it. Why, a man named John Freeze is leading the rebellion in Pennsylvania. All right, I say arrest him. Arrest every man who opposes the law. Bring him to justice. And very quickly we'll have this... Insurrection under control. Well, gentlemen, since that seems to be the will of the majority, we will, of course, attempt to enforce the law. I don't say the law is wrong. We need the money, and taxation is the only way to get it. But I do say that it troubles me greatly to go against the will of the people. you chopping wood. Don't tell anyone. <clears throat> we have plenty of wood. I know. I wanted to do some thinking. Who are you mad at? Uh, <laughs> you could tell I was mad, could you? <laughs> well, it doesn't take a very bright woman to look at the way you splintered that log to know you're mad. <laughs> well, it's the cabinet. I'm determined to keep my temper with them and to try and work this situation out. I wouldn't trust Pickering, Walcott, and McHenry as far as I could throw them. And I think you should get them out of the cabinet. No, no, I can't do that. Not now, not yet. They've always been known as honest men. They have a right to listen to Mr. Hamilton if they believe he is correct in his views. And they have every right to disagree with me. It angers me, though, that they, that they do. But at the same time, I know it's their right. And if I dismiss them, I may be starting a very dangerous precedent. I think you're starting a very dangerous precedent if you don't. Every president from now on may have to keep a cabinet he can't get along with. Just because you kept this one. Well, we'll see what happens the next few months. You're looking tired. You're working too hard. Well, I am tired. But one of your dinners will do wonders for me. These were the years where you're going to sit by the fire and dream. Remember? These were the years when you were going to retire and we were going to watch our children and our grandchildren and the country grow and develop. <laughs> Just look at us. <laughs> you know, you're prettier today than you were the day I married you. You know, it's just possible you're prejudiced. <laughs> Ever been sorry? That I married you? Mm -hmm. Not for one hour of one single day. They've been rich years. Not in dollars. In things that dollars can't buy. In adventure, in companionship, in love. In the things we've lost and suffered over together. In the things we've laughed over and remembered. 
In the dreams we've dreamed for the joy of dreaming. You know, someday we will have that fire. We'll sit there and watch the sun go down behind the rim of the hill. And the cabinets and the troubles with France and the troubles with politics will all be in the past. And the only things we will talk about will be the weather and stars and each other. Hmm? How does that sound to you? Unspeakably dull. <laughs> Woman, is there no pleasing you? There is, but that's not the way to do it. Come on in now. It's almost dinner time. Well, warrants have gone out now against all the insurrectionists. I wonder what's happening. I wonder what's happening. But Charlie, come in. What is it? Several of our men have been taken prisoner, John. By whom? By the marshal. They're at Bethlehem. Well, then we must get word to all the men immediately. We'll march within the hour. I've already called on two of the assessors tonight. I told Mr. Fulk I'd shoot him through the legs if he appeared at one more house. And I told Mr. Clark if he went to another house on the business of assessment, I, I'd lock him in an old stable and feed him on rotten corn. Good for you. We'll show the government that this is a people's government, and the people are going to run it. <laughs> My dear, it's almost dawn. You must get some sleep. Well, there's trouble across the land tonight. I can't sleep. What trouble? I don't know, but there's trouble and unrest. I know it. I feel it. Oh, where will it all end? Where will it all end? <laughs> In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Forest fires are indeed our most shameful waste because nine out of ten are man-made through carelessness. Those forest fires that swept across many sections of the nation last year caused loss of life, crippled watersheds, caused water shortage in some places and floods in others, soil erosion, property damage. Remember, it takes but a moment's carelessness with matches, cigarettes, cigars, or a campfire to set a forest fire. Forest fires can be prevented, and you can help. There are four simple rules of forest fire prevention. One, crush out cigarettes, cigars, and pipe ashes. Two, break matches in two after using. Three, drown all campfires, then stir and drown again. Four, find out the law before using fire. Follow these simple rules and prevent forest fires. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, have you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, so listen closely. The president issued a proclamation warning all the rebels to disband and the soldiers began to systematically comb the countryside in a search for John Freeze. They found him at his work, arrested him, and brought him to trial for treason. Mr. President! Yes? You know, if something isn't settled pretty soon, we're not going to have a tree left on the grounds. Word just came. John Freeze has been convicted. No, no. 
I was afraid he might be. He's been sentenced to death for treason. No. His wife was here a little while ago. Yes? You know, they have seven children. Those children need their father. But the courts of the United States have found John Fries guilty of treason. Do you believe he's guilty of treason? I believe in the law and in the courts. Of course. So do we all. And yet the law gives you the power of pardon. I can't uh, permit insurrection against the government, my dear. I think the members of the cabinet were quite correct about that. And yet you said you did not believe John Fries was a traitor. Yes, I did say that, and I don't believe he's a traitor. Even now I don't believe him. But before I can make a move, I must be able to convince the cabinet, the Congress, and the country of that. Or I might do a great deal of damage to the prestige of this government and this office. I think the prestige of this government and of your office depends on the justice of the government and the office. If a man is guilty, then the law is cold and clear about what should be done. But if the man is not guilty of the charge brought against him, then he should be able to look to the government and to the president for justice. Well, I'm going to examine the records most carefully, my dear, and I'll do what I can. Gentlemen of the cabinet, I intend to pardon John Freeze. Oh, Mr. Craven, you can't mean that, Mr. President. Why, John Freeze is a convicted traitor. I don't agree with that statement, Secretary McHenry. It was proven in court. Why, of course it was. You know yourself that the man led a rebellion in Pennsylvania. Yes, the man led a rebellion in Pennsylvania with a feather in his cap and his fife and drum corps wearing red, white, and blue cockades. Red, white, and blue! The colors of John Freeze's country, gentlemen. It was a rebellion no matter what colors they were wearing. They marched as Americans in protest against attacks. As Americans, too, gentlemen, we marched down to a harbor and dumped some tea overboard. Also in protest of attacks. Then you are saying, Mr. President, that Americans have the right to fight the tax collector. No, I'm not saying that, Mr. McHenry, and don't put words in my mouth. I say this... And only this. Our government is very new. And we have to get our people used to the taxes and the other things that go with government. It is our job to turn men like John Fries into citizens. It can't be done overnight. Gentlemen, let's not kill a good man because he didn't agree with the law we passed. Let's teach him why the law was necessary and get him on our side. I'm sure you must be able to see my point. Well, gentlemen of the cabinet, I am sorry that you don't agree with me. But John Fries is going to be pardoned whether you agree or not. Mr. President, I came to thank you for interceding for me. I didn't ask mercy, but I thank you for the mercy you showed all the same. Mr. Fries... You are a citizen. For a few years, I am the president. Sometimes it's hard to know just when you are being a good president, and sometimes it's hard to know just when you are being a good citizen. But remember this. Laws are passed by the people's representatives. If a people's government is to, is to survive, then the people must respect those laws and honor them. The will of the majority must count. The majority did not want the tax, Mr. President. But the majority would rather pay the tax than find themselves under the domination of Europe because they lack the arms with which to defend themselves, wouldn't they? Well, I can't argue that. 
So the people must think things out before they oppose something. And when they do oppose it, the way of opposition is not with fists and gunpowder, Mr. Freeze. It is with discussion. And finally, with votes. Mr. President, I've always been inclined to let my fists do my talking for me when I was angry. But I think you may be right. Goodbye, sir. We probably won't meet again. Good fortune to you, Mr. Freeze. Thank you, Mr. President. He's a fine-looking man, isn't he? Yes, and I think he's going to be all right now. And what about you and the cabinet? They've opposed you on your foreign policies, and they've opposed you on your domestic policies. Well, I've made up my mind about the cabinet, my dear. I have made up my mind. Mr. McHenry, I thought I might as well discuss this matter with you first. As taking the matter in alphabetical order, you come ahead of Mr. Pickering. Yes, Mr. President? As you know, the former president appointed you to my cabinet. That is quite correct, sir. Mr. McHenry, at least three of you gentlemen can hardly be called members of my cabinet, but members of Mr. Hamilton's cabinet. You have repeatedly opposed my policies. You have constantly kept Mr. Hamilton informed of everything that went on in the cabinet meetings. And you never have once, on any single occasion, shown me one bit of loyalty. I find I can no longer put up with these actions. And I therefore am forced to ask you for your resignation at once. You shall have my resignation in the morning, sir. I'm sorry, Mr. Pickering, but I must ask you for your resignation. I'll not resign, sir. I refuse to leave the cabinet voluntarily. Very well, Mr. Pickering. Then consider yourself dismissed. chopping and I thought you were at it again. No, I was just watching the hired man chop. It's a good feeling not to have to do it yourself. You don't think you'll be doing any more wood chopping? I hope not. The situation is settled with France. I've made the new appointments to my cabinet and Mr. Hamilton has become very quiet. No, my dear, I hope I won't be doing any more wood chopping for the balance of my administration. I even think you and I might find time to spend a few weeks back at home. You know, it's rather nice to be president when the smoke of battle clears away. And having you for a wife makes up for almost any problem in the world. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be an American? Let's take this next minute to ask ourselves that important question, what does it mean to be an American? Well, it means individual liberties such as no other nation has ever known. The freedoms we enjoy are as natural to us as the air we breathe. And just as we rarely notice that air until it is cut off, so we tend to lose awareness of our freedoms and how essential they are. What has happened in Europe during recent years proves that our liberties can be destroyed. That's why every one of us should be aware of our individual rights and take active participation 
in the affairs of our nation. Remember, freedom is our American heritage. Now, here is Edward Arnold. Well, Mr. President, another turn in the road, and we'll be in sight of Quincy. Ah, uh, home, at long last home. The capital will never seem like home to us. No. You know, Mr. Washington never felt at home any place but Mount Vernon, and I shall never feel at peace any place but Quincy. When I gotta get out of this carriage, I can forget about the presidency for the hours I'm here. I can put on my slippers and some comfortable clothes and be a farmer again. And the people who come to see us won't be coming to see the president. They'll be coming to see their old neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. John Adams. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This program is produced and directed by Joe Graham. Edward Arnold can currently be seen in the MGM picture, Annie Get Your Gun. Heard in today's cast were Shame Allen, Eric Dressler, Kermit Murdoch, Ian Martin, and your narrator, Santos Ortega. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President John Adams. Sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. The preceding was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.